and welcome to the Matthew Clark Podcast, episode four, where we sit down with the industry's key figures. Today, we'll be talking to Lucy Clemens, head winemaker at Accolade Wines. Lucy, thank you for being here today. Thank you um, for having me. That's all right. Um, so, how are you finding it here in London? Have you, have you visited many times before? Oh, I love London and I lived here for almost eight years. So, I uh, haven't been back for 12 months and I was so excited when they asked me to come for various events this week. And yeah, it's lovely to be back, even though the weather's pretty terrible. <laughs> no, it is. No. It's so it's both in summer, but uh, it's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So um, we've been, been talking for a little bit beforehand and you said you're currently doing your MW, Masters of Wine. Mm. How is that going? How are you finding it? Yeah, good. Well, I, it's, a, it's a huge challenge, obviously, and I'm a, I'm a bit of an overachiever, so I quite like having a challenge in front of myself. But I started the course many, many years ago and then um, deferred for sort of six years while I was in the UK as a, as a wine buyer and I started it again and I've just passed the theory exams in second year so I'm finding the longer I'm in the industry the more mature my palate is the more mature my thinking is so it's not getting easier but it's but it's getting more meaningful which is lovely so I'm um, I've just re-enrolled to go back and study uh, to try and pass the practical session next June and um, yeah I'm just going to have to taste more wine <laughs> that's not a, yeah, it's not not a bad, bad thing, thing is it? Yeah. <laughs> not a bad thing it's the best things about, yeah. uh, about tasting wine right so exciting times ahead for that then. yes yeah. nervous and exciting times ahead yes oh, well, I'm sure you'll be absolutely perfect well, <laughs> give it a good go <laughs> Alright, so you attended a Wine Australia tasting event as part of, a, uh, of the Australian Women in Wine Separation. Can you tell us a little yes. bit about that? It was an in, uh, initiative organised by um, Laura Jewell and Jane Thompson, so Laura Jewell, Head of Market for Wine Australia and in Europe and the UK, to gather Australian winemakers in London and to do these awards recognising uh, contributions to the wine industry. So, of course, it was lovely to be part of that. And um, there were 60 female winemakers here from many different sorts of companies, including you know big ones like Accolade and, and uh, small companies from Tasmania like um, Sam Conyu. And um, I was very lucky to be speaking on a panel in the afternoon representing... Um, my region which is mostly the Riverland at the moment and uh, representing our company so it was really exciting to be there and and Wines Australia put on a beautiful opportunity for us to show our wines to the press um, to trade journalists and to um, a very select group of consumers in the evening as well so it was it was so humbling to be sitting on a sitting on a panel next to you know people like Prue Henschke and Virginia Wilcock from Fast Felix and I am, um, yeah, it's, it's a big deal, this, this women in the wine industry, and uh, it's more about just being supportive and being one big family and making sure that we make the wine industry a, um, an attractive career for younger women as well. And that was part of why I was there, making sure that we could um, help younger women understand that it's an amazing industry to work in. Yeah, I think I think I did my bit, which yeah, was nice. Fair enough, yeah, because, you know, obviously being in such a male-dominated industry, it's it's got its advantages. I mean, there's, there's never really a queue in front of the toilets anyway. True. So that's really good. But, you know, we, we really see that, especially from the outside, winemaking is, is very, very male-dominated. 
And do, do you have any ideas why this could be? Why? Oh, why, why I'm making is definitely male-dominated. And I think... Um, I think maybe... I was a bit of a tomboy growing up, so I think I would have expected that if you were a really girly girl, you probably would have thought one making was a bit like being a farmer. And and it kind of is, you know, I spend all day in my boots and I've got, you know, brushing spiderwebs out of my hair and, and walking through vineyards and jumping over snakes and it's all true. And um, and so it is it is pretty you know, it's pretty hands on but um, so maybe that's why some women aren't attracted or some women don't stay in the career, more importantly. Because when I went through uni and I graduated in, I graduated from Adelaide University, um, we're just in the transition from Roseworthy to Wake Campus, um, there were, at least half of us were women who graduated with the Enology degree. So, but there's definitely most of those girls aren't still at work. I think family plays a part, you know, so we have to have workplaces that make it easy for people to have children. I have a little boy myself, he's almost two. Um, I have an incredibly supportive husband who helps me do my job and look after the family. But um, that dirt, that, that sort of dirty, almost farmer style that people imagine is actually part of the beauty. And for me, it's about being connected to the land. It's about being physically connected to my wines in the winery. So, you know, it might be a, a rough and tumble sort of role, but that connection is something that I crave. So I can, I, I wouldn't want to sit in a desk somewhere. Um, you know, the days I have to do emails are boring days, but certainly, um, that would be that would be a message that I'd send clearly to other women. Though. It's a, actually about the majesty and the sort of intimacy that you have with your vineyards and your wines, especially in vintage when you're making them. That is actually very suited to a woman. Um, it's it's very suited to someone who has a sensitivity to the land around them and to the and to um, making wines. It's a bit like being a chef, to be honest. It's a bit like being a chef, getting dirty, cleaning up tasting making it work yeah so um but i mean we're very proud of accolade we've got 11 wineries in australia alone three of those wineries are run by women um so we're extremely proud of the girls in our team and and uh, some of our best tasters are females no doubt um but that said of course we're proud of the boys as well and we make different wines so having a having a combination of males and females is not just good from uh, wine styles points of view but also from a cultural balance point of view in the teams that are all boys you know yeah things are different sometimes you need a girl in there to balance things out Um, just before we go and uh, and talk about your current role at Accolade um, just wanted to to touch on your background a little bit uh, because you mentioned you you spent quite a bit of time in the UK Um, so you were a winemaker at Chapterdown yeah when I I left Grant Burge in 2008 uh, to take a role at Chapterdown in the UK I am I ran away, as it were, to have a grand adventure in Europe. And because I did a vintage at Tadinger in Champagne in 2007 and fell back in love with French wine. It was my second French vintage at the time. And if I could have had a visa to just live in France, then I would have. But I, di- I couldn't. You know, I, didn't, I had an Australian passport. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go to the UK and one day someone will let me have a passport. And then I'll move to France. And... Uh, it kind, of, it kind of didn't work out that way, but it sort of went better than that. So I came to the UK to work at Chapeldown and um, was poached across to Waverley Vintners, which doesn't exist anymore, but as uh, they wanted a winemaker who could be a wine buyer. 
So they thought that the very words of Neil Bruce, who was my boss at the time, were, um, I can teach a winemaker how to be a buyer, but it might be more difficult for me to teach a buyer how to be a winemaker because it was blending these huge volumes of own label wines all around the world. So my first day on the job was in South Africa. <laughs> I flew down to Cape Town on a Sunday, started work on a Monday in the Breed River Valley. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm so lucky I've landed in this beautiful place. And all of my Australian winemaking skills, all of my French winemaking skills were being used in that way. So, um, so I was really lucky. I continued to do that for the next sort of six or seven years. Um, was headhunted across to Sainsbury's and then went to Tesco um, the whole way through right, buying French wines which is a great, my great passion always was so it felt like such a privilege to be buying France uh, you know I speak a little bit of French and um, I bought California the whole way through so I had this sort of each side of the coin you know the finest wines in the world along with the California portfolio and travelling up and down the central coast and so I'm so privileged to have done those roles. I'm so it's such a huge advantage for my role now to have to truly understand the world of wine and where my wines fit into that world. Yeah. So I'm extra- extraordinarily grateful for that experience. That is amazing. So yeah. a nice bit of a Euro trip. Uh, oh yeah. Pass. Everywhere the air miles were extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gold memberships everywhere. Don't have them anymore. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> right, so um, you returned to Australia in 2016 um, after a bit of, of wine buying as well as wine making. Um, did you always intend to like, go back home? I know you said a little bit like you wanted to stay here, but do you feel that you, know, you still had that connection? Back I think home? I, to be honest, I didn't ever, I married an Englishman, so I never, we never sort of saw ourselves coming back to Australia, but uh, an opportunity presented itself, and so we thought it was time to have a new adventure, and and came back, and it was, it was a long period of adjustment, actually, because I hadn't lived in Australia for almost a decade, so it was, um, it took a while to re, to, to, find my place back in the Australian wine industry because so much had changed yeah. as well. Um, but we're so grateful to be back in Australia now. Um, we have a fantastic quality of life for our little boy. And um, and of course, I find myself in London a couple of times a year, so I get the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's yeah. Very good, exactly. It? Okay, so right now you're responsible for making um, you know, the UK's number one Australian uh, wine brand, Hardy's, mm-hmm. um, amongst others. Yes. Well. Um, do you think your time in, in Britain really helped you create the wine that um, you know, really prospers in the UK market, that just yeah. works here? I, I, I can't describe how much influence my buying career has on my, my now uh, winemaking career. Um, on one hand, wandering around the globe, seeing and learning different techniques has been extraordinarily advantageous in that I can now go back and go, well, hang on a sec, this is how they do it in California, this is how they do it in South Africa. And of course, when I was a buyer, I was always very curious about how the wines were being made. I couldn't turn my winemaking brain off. So I, I was just absorbing so much. So now I use some of those techniques. I mean, I think secondly, as I touched on briefly before, the really humbling understanding of the place of Australian wine on a UK retailer's shelves with the, you know, the crossroads of the world of wine uh, on the shelves 
is really important. I think when you're sitting in your winery back in Oz or in South Africa or wherever you might be, it's easy to think that it's, it's isolated, you know, that you're thinking about your wines every day. But actually I now find myself thinking about other people's wines just as much as our wines because I, I want them to shine in whatever situation they're in. So in a benchmark of Australian wines, I want to make sure that our Hardy's wines, our Banrock Station wines, uh, the wines across our whole portfolio are shining brightly in a range of Australian wines. And likewise, in a commercial bracket of South African, Chilean, uh, Californian, you know, California is some of the best commercial wines out there. I want to make sure that our Australian wines speak of being Australian, but have all of the same qualitative cues. So. We, we have some evolution to do there. I think the whole Australian wine industry does. And that's exciting because that's the challenge in front of us is to make sure that we are not just the best in Australia but the best in the world. Um, but thirdly, the, the real advantage of the time in the UK is not just understanding how a retailer like Tesco, for instance, works, but, but this total obsession with customers and, and data. So we never did anything at Sainsbury's and Tesco without a, without a customer proposition, um, nor would you at Matthew Clark. You know, you've, you have to know you can sell it and that it fits a brief, a need for a customer. So it's not about making wines that I want personally necessarily to drink, although I drink all of our portfolio, but it's about making wines that are for, you know, a mum and dad in... The south of France, who might be on holiday and might be in a resort that stocks Hardy's, and they can, and they can enjoy that glass easily, or they can drink the whole bottle, or they can drink the whole bag in box. Or, you know, responsible drinking clearly, but but it's about it's about enjoyment and 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 value and um, and you know, lovely, glamorous, tasty, friendly, silky wines, whatever they might be. So it's this sort of new customer focus that probably taken me out of my own maybe ego's the right word you know, maybe taking it out of my own ego to make this expression the way I want it to do and actually more about making it the way that our customers want to see it yeah you make it yeah. for someone else exactly exactly yeah. that's perfect it's yeah. a much more concise way of saying what <laughs> I just said <laughs> <laughs> so um now we Earlier this week, we, we met at the California Wine mm-hmm. uh, Fair. Um, quite recently, yeah. I believe, we've started to, to work in the in California as yes. well. Um, how are you finding it? When, when exactly did this happen? How, how well, happen? we unfortunately, our winemaker um, is, is not at Geyser Peak anymore. And so we needed a winemaker, and that ended up being me. <laughs> So I was asked if I was available, uh, well not available, I was asked if I would go and run vintage in California um, and three days later I got on the plane. So we said yes and and I went and it's an amazing opportunity to be making Sonoma and Napa, um, Lake County and Mendocino. I'm very, I'm very privileged to be there. So I, I arrived in July, I'm still there, I'm going back to San Francisco to finish, got a couple of vineyards still to pick, Napa being one of them. And uh, yeah, I've been playing with real barrels again and wild ferments and all these things that I don't normally get to do in the commercial division. So I've been, um, I've been satisfying my premium winemaking past um, and it's just been such a pleasure. It's a difficult vintage over there, but California is a, it's a small but very important part of the Accolade Wines Group. And to be involved back in global, like sort of, you know, the last almost 10 years of my career has been so global. So to be 
out of Australia for a little bit and, and thinking about things in California and how I can make better Hardy's wines for California as well and how I can make our Geyser Peak and our Atlas Peak wines the best they can be. Has, you know, it's a huge challenge, but it's been, it's been brilliant fun. It's been brilliant fun. I haven't, I haven't any time off, but, you know, I'm... I'm uh, yeah, I mean, winemakers like making wine, so I've got two chances this year. Yep. Second vintage in six months. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite uh, you know, fantasy, because you, you're sitting here with a big smile on your face, yeah. or actually, <laughs> three days' notice, to fly to, to California, yeah. come to the UK unexpectedly, all the way in between, and then back out to, to yeah. finish the vintage, and then, you know, exactly. back home, get all across the country. And very lucky, hey? Yeah. I'm very lucky. I, uh, I never would have dreamed, ever, when I was 17 years old and I started at university, that uh, 20 years forward I would be in London sitting you know, with a lovely person like you <laughs> talking about this crazy career that I've had. So, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very grateful. Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. Hence the smile. <laughs> <laughs> crazy but exciting Yeah, life. exactly. Yeah. Right, so I understand that um, you look after all the commercial wines that we have. Sure. Well, the commercial wine division is the not very sexy way for talking about the wines with mass market appeal. So that accounts for a huge, huge component tree of our winemaking in Australia. And the two wineries that I look after are almost... 300,000 tonnes worth of fruit, which is um, a very, very, very large part of our portfolio. So it's a pretty privileged position to be, be to be in to make wines that millions of people around the world drink. We take it pr- very seriously. Um, it certainly keeps me awake at night, making sure that I've had the customer at the front of everything I'm doing and actually turning our grapes in the Riverland and Sunraysia into, into these masterpieces that they are on a very large scale. So um, you have a large selection of our entry-level commercial wines, which are, which are exciting, and they tend to be varietal-led, and you have a couple of the dual varietals. So um, I think varietal-led is always going to be the most popular in the UK, and um, finding a good expression of Sauvignon Blanc, a good expression of Chardonnay, is actually part of what we do. We find ourselves talking about, does this express our place and our grape variety properly, whilst also being delicious, juicy, fun, soft, um, glamorous, whatever we need it to be. So it's kind of, I've heard myself say this a couple of times in this conversation, but there is an emotion involved in what we do, and and there certainly is quite emotional on the commercial level, making sure that it's enjoyable, making sure that these wines are um, making people smile, um, making people relax, whatever it might be. So it's about sort of infusing that um, unbridled passion and enthusiasm for giving people great uh, occasions that is uh, that uh, sort of infuses all of our commercial winemaking and we're you know we're a big team of almost I think almost 20 winemakers we uh, all love a good drink we work very hard and uh, we, we walk vineyards at vintage and we yeah we, we're so lucky we've we have the two huge wineries which which are fantastically advanced and um yeah, you can't get much of a better job than working in this, one of Australia's biggest wineries. It's a fantastic privilege. Yeah. So, um, during lunch, um, you've been you've been talking about some of the wines, and you got you know very excited about the wines, obviously. Yes. Because, you know you're, you're proud of them. So, just think about you know all of the wines that that you're responsible for, you look after. What would be your absolute favourite? Oh, the, well, the wines that I look after right now. 
I actually had a favourite wine. I don't know if it's actually going to end up being a whole wine or not. But it's a. Um, I made it. We made a Nero Davila into a rosé from Sunraysia this year. It was a little surprise parcel of grapes that we we found at the last minute. So we picked it, we drained it off really quickly and fermented it. And it just, there was something just really ethereal about the product that came out the other side because it had a really fine, high acidity. There was a spiciness about it. It was very pale in colour. And it was so, it was almost gourmet in the way that it was made. So right now, that little one tank of Nero Double Rosa is probably my favourite. I'm going to have to sell it to someone now so they can turn it into an actual wine. Or I might have to print it away into a big parcel. But um, but that's, that's, I'm very proud of those innovative wines that we're doing now. Um, we make another wine in, in our winery called Barossa Inc., which is... Um, I think it's available in the UK now, but it's a it's a take on um, building a different texture into the palate of the red wine, and I think we'll, we'll tease that out in the coming years, building um, some almost creaminess and texture without tannin into our red wines, so uh, a more mouth filling profile without uh, the astringency that might come from oak tannins or from fruit tannins. So the, those inky wines are real favourites of mine. But to be honest, hand on heart, our favourite wine in the portfolio, I don't make. I don't even have a hand in it. And that is um, that is one of the West Australian Margaret River Chardonnays that we have from Brooklyn Valley Reserve. The, the, I love Chardonnay, as do you. We love Chardonnay. And it is, um, it's so opulent and it's so intense. It's just one of my, it, one of my all-time favourite wines. Um, Margaret River Chardonnay is something that I came to quite late in my... Um, development of my palate and I just cannot get enough of them now and I can afford them slightly more than I can burgundy so that works well so yeah that's my favorite that's my favorite bits of the portfolio so such a little bit in it um, already but I'm quite curious you know, what, what do you think will be happening for the future of just starting with both Australian and, and Californian wines I think I'd like I'd like to think that there'll be a revolution surrounding lighter styles of wines and and that might be um, encapsulating some uh, maybe lighter alcohol wines but I actually think looking at freshness in uh, reds and freshness in whites is going to be something that Australia and and California do um, well obviously we can do thick rich wines very easily in Australia and Cali not to not to group them together just because they're both new worlds they have remarkably different climatic zones but um, but I think stylistically, freshness, um, juiciness, almost an oakiness m- could be a way that we go in the future. And I think there is a customer need for that as well, for wines that are um, refreshing, um, not just wines that are sort of intense and complicated. And we've been talking about wines like that today over lunch. But um, So I'd like to see that happen. I think we'll continue to do work on alternate varieties. And I think that's for a couple of different reasons. Number one, because there's a flavour profile there that comes from especially the European alternate varieties, which um, is, is really interesting, especially in the premium zones. Really interesting wines, really good food matches, just, just more, more choices really for customers. But also because of climate change, which is genuinely real. You know, we've had a couple of very strange vintages recently across the world. I mean, the big frost in France and and the heat waves we had in Australia and California, which I'm now seeing the byproducts of at the end of my vintage in California. It's real. So 
we've got to get really clever about that, uh, about making sure they've got the right varieties in the right places. And that probably combined with the crazy, um, the crazy political situation in the world, certainly California is going to suffer from this, is making sure that we're clever with technology and mechanisation because labour will continue to be a problem. Um, California's already feeling it. Um, in Australia, we're highly mechanised because we, we, we're very ahead of the game. And certainly mechanised, I mean, by viticulture. Growing our vineyards more technologically, uh, in a more technologically advanced way and with less labour will be good for us because we just can't get people to work in those vineyards. So, but on a positive note, because that's not that positive, I actually think, I, I think we're going to continue to see rosé continue to rise. You know, I, I love rosé. I make a lot of rosé. I make millions and millions of litres of rosé in Australia. And I've made a beautiful little thousand litre Malbec rosé in California this year. So it's like from one extreme to the other. But this, this sort of ballerina pink Provençal style, you know, delicate textures through the palate, dry or maybe sweet. They're so... This, these are such a drinkable category and lends itself so well to occasion. In Australia, we have this awesome movement called Brosé, with boys drinking rosé, which yeah. is great. So yeah. this is, it's, such a, it's such a sign of positivity in the industry to have this acceptance of rosé. I mean, we know in France it's more important than white wine now, but in Australia and California, I think we'll see more delicate, interesting rosé wines that are that are much more acceptable to everyone. So yeah. that's a really, that's a nice, friendly way to end it, isn't it? Thinking yeah. about rosé. We yeah, should be having definitely. a glass of rosé. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all we need in the UK right now is just a nice summer where yeah. you know, it's actually not yeah. raining or <laughs> no pressure. freezing cold. <laughs> exactly. We need to do some, some way that we can um, drink uh, rosé that's warming. Who knows? Yes. There's, there's, some, there's an idea. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. <laughs> Right, well, thank you so much, uh, thank Lucy, you. for uh, spending some time with me today to, see, uh, to talk about everything. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. To find out more about our range of accolade wines from Australia and California, visit the Matthew Clark website. And don't forget to join us next time when we will be talking to David Bicknell from Oak Ridge Wines.